everyone doing today? If you don't know who I am, I'm Pastor Rich, senior pastor here, and you've just been coming for just this first time here today, and we've been going through the book of James, and how many have been enjoying the book of James? How many think it's just a hard book to get by? You think you're doing okay, and then you read chapter three, and then you find out you have a problem with your words. Then we're going to talk about the day. You figure, okay, we'll get better. Then we go to chapter four. And we talk about our attitude and how much pride we have. Because you know, like pride is like bad breath. You're the last one to know you have it. <laughs> so, I mean, you can't get past James. James is a practical guy, and he talks. He's talking to a church, and he's a leader of the church, and he is actually just not pulling any punches. It's a very encouraging book, and it's a book that helps me grow every time I preach it because I always get convicted every single chapter we go through, and I always ask God on Wednesday night. Can we just skip on to something that's nice? He says, no, you can't get to the nice until you get healed. So today we're going to talk about the war within. The war within. Chapter 4. James goes from my words in chapter 3 to the war within us in chapter 4. It's two realities. Our spiritual reality and our physical reality. And we're always at war with one another. But it's not the war from outside. It's the war that happens inside that determines how we look on the outside. And what I want to do is go, we're going to unpack this in chapter 4. We're going to go through verses 1 through 10. And I'm really excited about this one again. Um, take as much notes as you can because James is one of those books that the more you read it, the more uh, God enlightens you. And Devin, welcome back, sir. Stand up, let everybody see you. All righty. Devin was over there suffering for Jesus, for the military, doing his thing. He's glad to be home, right? You ready to go back tomorrow, right? Raw. (laughs) And she said, no, that's it. It's over. Anyway, let's go to James chapter 4, verses 1 through 10. If you haven't, it's on the screens if you don't have your Bible. It's really a warning against worldliness. It says this. What causes quarrels? What causes fights among you? Is it not this that your passions are at war within you? You desire and you do not have. You murder. Now, the word murder, guys, is not the word like they kill each other. It's about envy, being envious. If you look in the Greek word, it means being envious, not killing one another. So make sure no one in the church is killing one another because they don't have what they want. (laughs) You covet and you cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You don't have because you don't ask. You ask and you don't receive because you ask wrongly you, and you spend, it, you spend it on your passions. You adulterous people. Do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you suppose that to no purpose that the scriptures say he yearns jealously over the spirit that he has made to dwell in us? But he gives us more grace. Everyone say more grace. Therefore, it says, thank God for your grace. God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Now, he gives his solution in chapter 7. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. You, wretched, uh, you be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned into mourning and your joy to gloom. Now, that can be misunderstood. He's talking about those who are walking with 
uh, in the ways of the world, and they're laughing about it, and they're having a great time. He says, this is really what repentance looks like. You start to mourn. You don't laugh anymore about your situation or where you are. You start to mourn because God starts to show you who you are, and he shows who he is in you. So don't look at, well, okay, I want you to be depressed. Um, where am I at? Verse 10. Get there. Humble yourself before the Lord, and he will exalt you. Let's pray. Father, I just thank you for this moment, God. Again, your word is like it's a sword, and it cuts both ways. But, Father, it gets to the point, and it takes out that which is not from you in us. I ask that you anoint this time today in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Now, you're seeing here the war within, and you see three things that uh, he says has major influences in our lives as believers. The first one is the world, the flesh, and then the devil. And you see here, the world, if we know about the world and the society that we live in today, the principles that are opposed to God, some of the things that we deal with in society is greed, ambition, selfishness, and most of all, pleasure. Because the world is always pursuing those issues. Greed, ambition, selfishness, and pleasure. What I'm seeing on TV today is amazing, what we call reality TV. And everyone is, has those issues in their lives, especially if you look at MTV and they call it the real world. They bring all these separate people together, all have these issues, and they want them to survive. And then everyone, they sell tickets by everyone fighting. Or the real housewives of Atlanta and the new housewives of New York and the new house, all those things everyone loves when they beat each other up or when they have arguments. And all it comes down to is what their ambition is, selfishness and greed for position all those things. Pleasure, because they're always, everyone's looking for more possessions, status, or recognition. There was a, um, I think it was about four years ago, I mean, uh, myself and Pastor, well, six years ago, myself and Pastor Chris came in here to, in the sanctuary. We used to come here and talk a lot. And we were discussing discipleship. And um, he came up with a, a theme, and I was saying, because I gave him my military experience about what happened to me my first 45 days in the military, uh, about how they um, um, deprogram you and reprogram you, I would say. And we, he came up with these three words, which was amazing. He said this, you know, he says, when we do discipleship, he said, Rich, he said, what we need to do is take people from me to we to them. From me to we to them. And I said, that makes sense because when I went into basic training, it was all about me. And they had to teach me how to think about my teams. That they put us together from all different places, and if we didn't do well with our team, we didn't make it. And then at the end of basic training, we didn't even think about us. We thought about those who were going to help and support and defend our nation. We thought about them. And in the process of discipleship, we, God takes us from me to we to them. Well, you're looking at a church, when he's talking about the infighting, it was all about me and my thing and your thing. And we all, and they argued because of me, 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 myself, and I. The worst trinity there is. Me, myself, and I. <laughs> And this is what was going on in the, in the church he was, he was talking to about. And it was amazing because 
we all have to wake up every single day because this war, it never ends. It's, you get through one day, you get up the next morning, it's there again. Who am I going to think about, me? Or am I going to think about we? Or am I going to think about them? And can I be honest with you? When I get up in the morning, a lot of times it's about me because me is making a lot of noise, cracking and, and I'm, oh, my gosh. And I got to go to work. I got to go to church. Oh, my gosh. Can I just lay in bed another four days? <laughs> Can I have one more hour of sleep? It's all about me. God, I'll pray. Let me get a couple more hours of sleep. <laughs> and then I pray. And I read the word. It's about we. And it gets me back to them. And when I'm talking about this war, it's progressive. Every single day, we have an opportunity Either serve me or serve God. And it's a war that never seems to stop. So you don't perfect it. You just have progress in it, depending on how you feel. I had a me week. <laughs> I did. I had one of those me weeks. And I had a few calls that made me go to them and start thinking about everyone else again. Because once in a while you have those days that's all about me, really. And um, you have friends that can take you from me to them. Make sense? Let's look at this. There's three, let's examine the three causes, I mean, the um, three things. There's one, the cause, the consequence, and the cure of this war. Now, the cause of the war, in verses 1 and 2, you'll see the word passion. Now, that, pers- that passion word is a Greek word for hedonism, which is really this, is the belief that pleasure or happiness is the most important goal in life. The folks that were in that first part that's talking about the church, you were thinking about themselves. Everything's about me and everything's about where I'm going to be, pleasure and happiness. I want to be happy versus holy. And that's what the cause of it was. And because they had the wrong, they were thinking about the wrong things, they couldn't even think with God about the right things. How many pray selfishly? I'm guilty. Before I pray for the city, I'm just thinking about myself. And you see, like, I don't hear anything because you're not praying right. And it's easy to fall into. Very easy to fall into. When they wanted the wrong things, they didn't ask God for the right things. It says, you have not because you ask not because they didn't ask. So when they didn't have it, they didn't ask. They quarreled, and they fought with one another. Because it's easy to fight when my philosophy on life is completely about me, and your philosophy of life is about you. There's no coming together. And then you have a church like us. Look around. Did God do something special here or what? From all different places, and how we have to learn, they're not about me and where I come from is about all of us doing what God called us to do. And all, I mean, just like the disciples, I was talking to teaching the class a few weeks ago about where they all came from, different places. And how does a guy who worked for the government start um, deal with the guy who wanted to destroy the government? How they become friends? They had to relinquish their rights and really recognize their privileges. Because walking with God is a privilege. It's not a right. And that's what I realized with that. 
But this war never seems to stop. The thing I wrote here was the essence of sin is selfishness, and selfishness is the root of all conflict. I want what I want and how I want it. If I don't get it, when I think I should get it, I'm walking. How many um, guys here uh, used to play um, basketball, football? Remember we used to go in the park and the playground, and you always had the one guy who bought the ball? Remember that guy? He didn't get his way. What did he do? He took the ball and left. I'm like, man. I ain't play. You know, and most of the time he couldn't play anyway. He's what you call a modern-day scrub. We let him play because he had a ball. I used to be one of those guys. I'm really damaged by that. And then we got smart. We bought our own ball. Well, a lot of times it happens with us. If we don't get what we want, we, I'm taking my toys. I'm leaving. And this is what's happening in this church. Going at it. And that's, again, it's how you wake up in the morning. Because how many believe the same thing happens every day? It's just how you perceive it. When I don't get up and I don't get time to pray and read my Bible, everything's about me. I can tell, you know, the same guy cut me off every morning, the same SUV, taking the kids to school, cuts me off every morning. On a good day, I'm prayed up. This is good. It's all right. Bless you. On a bad day, I'm praying. <laughs> Flip that car. And I'll repent later, Lord. <laughs> Being real with you. It's a war within our flesh. We don't, we don't work up here with, a, with halos around our head and I'm floating around. It takes work and walking through this world and trying to be all that God called us to be. And not try to be selfish in the middle of it. It's all about me. It's about them. About them. Uh, one of the greatest scriptures in the Bible, it talks about this war. Galatians chapter 5, verse 17. And it says this, there's two desires. The desires of the flesh are against the spirit. And the desires of the spirit are against the flesh. For those who are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. Because you know there's certain things you want to do and you know there's certain things that God wants us to do. Now sometimes it's easy and sometimes it's not. But that's the conflict we get up with every single day regardless where you are in the, in the country. You wake up, if you're a Christ follower, those are the conflicts you get up with every single day. And there's a spirit and there's the flesh. And one thing I read about in the, in the flesh, there's nothing good. You can't do anything. The spirit's always willing to pray, but the flesh is like, give me two more hours of sleep. Ever. And that's the, that's the thing that's fighting. And you give in to either one. That's why you can't even condemn anybody with the scripture because he's just talking about um, us every single day, the war. I don't feel like going today. I don't feel like, it's not about feeling. It's a reason. See, Christianity is not about feeling. It's a reason. Because Jesus died on the cross and was risen, and we have the greatest message on the planet. We have the greatest message that can solve any issue in the world. So that's a great reason to get up every day and celebrate him. Versus I feel like it. And I can tell you how many times you don't feel like it. Most of the times you don't feel like it, but you do it anyway. That's what I heard before. So that's the cause of it. Selfishness. The root of every conflict. Believe it. I love when we 
um, talk to young people about marriage. Because somehow we like um, Match.com. And they like the same thing I like. Sure, they're lying to you till you get married. <laughs> and everyone, you know, you do it and everyone welcomes the day. Great day, big day. Everyone's celebrating, yeah. And you have your honeymoon, last a week. Everything is great. Two weeks later, you figure out they're different than I am. The Bible says in Genesis, it says that it's not good for Adam to be alone, but he'll give one that will really match him, who's going to be different than you. But you can't go into marriage being selfish. I like what I like. You like what you like, and we'll just survive. You won't survive. You'll kill each other. If you're not a morning person, and they are, it's over. <laughs> right? And you're saying, Lord, what happened? You need that. They help you get up in the morning because you want to stay in two more hours. If you don't have them, you'll be in bed all day. And you're a night person. They're not. You want to see me? Go to bed. You need each other. Become one. Celebrate the differences. Don't fight against them. Because you want what you want, but you'll, get, you'll both get what you want when you submit to one another and have a good, let the games begin. <laughs> and you have the rest of your life, check it out, the rest of your life to figure it out. There's no, I'm over. It's not over. Here's the thing. If you think you want to break up with your wife, and I don't know who I'm talking to today, you're attracted to that certain type of woman. You're going to marry the same thing. And about two, you know, she was like, like, yeah, because that's what you do. That's who you gravitated toward. So stay with her, a whole lot cheaper, <laughs> and don't be so selfish. Point two, the consequences of it. Now, you see what happened here. He talks, he brings prayer into it. Verses three through six, selfish desires lead to wrong actions and wrong praying. Here's a uh, quote by RV, RVG Tasker. Love it. Talks about how we can pray right. It says, There is to be sure no prayer that would we'll, <clears throat> that we'll all need to pray so much as the prayer that we may love what God commands and desire what he promises. He's counteracting that because when you pray, and he talked about here in the scripture, you're praying because you want your own selfish desires met. And Tasker says, there's no greater prayer loving God's commands and desiring God's promises. And that's the difference. He said they wasn't getting anything because they wanted to spend it on their own deal. When we, you know, there's a scripture we use sometime in the Bible, and he asks Jesus, he'll give you anything, really? No, everything in what he desires, he'll give you. Not for your own desire, but for the desire for someone else. The reason why you have a nice house is to entertain other people. We talked about in the gifts class today. The reason why we have gifts because people, lo- God loves people so much that He uses us to touch them in a special way. Not that we're special, but our prayer life and our walk should be pleasing to Him. And I tell you what, it's less frustrating when you're worrying about your own promotion. It really is. It's less, it's less frustrating. I mean, really, 
praying your prayer life for what he commands. What does he command? Us to love people. Us to have compassion. Us to have grace. Us to think about others first. And in the midst, when you serve other people and you're with other people, you'd be surprised how much your stuff's taken care of. You look up and say, hey, well, I did everything that God wanted me to do. I'm, I'm really receiving some great grace and, and favor. But the people got so caught up in their own pursuits, they became hostile to one another and God. Because God said friendship with the world and their system of greed and all that, automatic war. And then with one another? Because you don't, I don't want what you want, and, and I need my, and I got to get, you know, you hear this, it's my money, your money, my time, your time, my stuff, your stuff. Happens in the church a lot when it, it's all God's stuff. I can't even do it as a, as a pastor. This is not even my place. This is God's place. God ordained this church July 4th, 1990, to be here in, this, in Abilene, Texas. And we're in that 2015, we're going to celebrate 25 years of being here. He ordained that. And everything he does, he does by his own design. I can't even take ownership of it. I can steward it, but I can't take ownership of it. And I don't need to take ownership of it. Because I wasn't called to do that. He was called to do that. And the other thing I love, he says he extends grace to us. More grace. I love Everyone say Grace. I mean, love God's grace, that he don't treat us the way we treat other people. You cut them off, you're done. Like, I, was, I was only kidding, you know. <laughs> Titus chapter 2, verses 11 and 12. Talk about grace. A lot of things we think is get a um, jail-free card, but grace is powerful. It says this, for the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to what? All people. But it doesn't just stop there. It trains us. Training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. Not when we get to Beulah land, right here today. How do you want? Grace of God is training me to say no to those passions and no to those desires and saying yes to him. And I love when he says training. He didn't say you have to be perfect. He just says you got to be trained. And every day is a training day. Every single day is a training day. And that's the greatest thing. That's what you're talking about, grace. Here's the thing. God's commandments are his enablements. He enables us to do his commandments. He always supplies what we need to be successful. Because no one sins successfully. Think about it. He knows what is good for us. He knows what we need. Because when we try to do what we need, it doesn't work out well. You know, everyone says, you know, money, want more money. Really? Do you really want more money? I mean, if you want to know what money does to you, get on a plane and fly to California. Go to Hollywood. The street's just this big, and everyone's a wreck. They got more money, but they have no peace. So if money was the cure-all, they'd be the happiest guys on the planet, wouldn't they? No. Now, more money is good only when God adds to it. And he tells you how, and he does what? Gives you more responsibility to do it. I didn't mind when I had less money. When we were, I told, man, I can't tell what we say in, in marriage counseling. But when we were broke, man, we had a great time. 
First of all, we didn't eat out at all. And I fell in love with bologna, cheese, and and man, we hung out at the house because there was nowhere else to go. And our relationship got better. Where you gonna go? You got no money. That's great. I got money for gas. And we learned so much from one another. And y'all, some of y'all been through my counseling when I told you guys, when you're broke, you're okay. And you can share that not in service. That's a PG-13 thing. Plus, my honey's not here, and I'll get in trouble if I share it. So, But it's about these things never go away. I wish they just went away. They don't. That pressure from the outside, it doesn't go away. Living a self-controlled life, no one's got it down. Even when you preach this, you got to make sure, hey, man, I got to, no, I can walk out here tomorrow, to this afternoon. I bet you I'll probably be tested in it. And with everything I've been preaching lately, I've been tested in it. My tongue, my attitude. This is the last one, pride. Oh, my gosh. I didn't know I had it until I smelled my breath. I do have pride. Anyway. Self-control upright, that is something you're trained for. And I love one of the words, when you look at the other um, revision, it says practice. Practice. I love one of the NBA players, I don't need practice. It's just practice. You need practice. We all need practice. It's what God's grace calls practice. <laughs> we need training. Only way we get trained is through his word. Because we don't have not arrived at all. Last one is the cure. Whew. How many say I'm happy for the cure? <laughs> first, that first line of the cure, verses 7 through 10, the first, only word you want to write down is humility. You see some key words in there. It says submit, resist. Those are military terms. To submit and resist. Draw near, cleanse your hands, purify your heart, humble yourself. See, we can resist the devil when we refuse to surrender to the impulses of sin. That's how we resist the devil. When we refuse to surrender the impulse, because it's an impulse. And I wrote this down. Submission is an act of faith, and humility builds faith. Submission is an act of faith. God, I'm giving you all this, my title, my family, everything, and I'm trusting you to do whatever you want with it. And now I walk in humility because I'm trusting you to be my, my, God doesn't need to be defended. I don't need to defend. He's going to do it all. So it builds my faith when I walk in humility. Outside of humility, I'm just walking in my own power. And submission is that you submit to one another. Talk about in marriage, when you both submit to one, that's an act of faith. That you're putting your trust in your, in your mate. But when two of them do it together, you both submit to God, God brings it down and makes it um, just awesome to you. See how different that is? Submitting to it. And all it is, and then humility. Just walking in complete humility. Humbling ourselves mean, means recognizing our worth comes from God alone. Guys, my worth comes from him. You're not going to see a business card Prophet, so and so. I'm not. Apart from God, anything I got good or anything in my life came from God. I can't take credit for any of that. If you know me 20 years ago, I wouldn't be up here talking. 
And, and Jack can tell you, 20 years, I don't even like people. I'd rather preach and leave them to the pastor. Yeah, have a good day. I'm leaving. Give me my check. I'm out of here. And God broke my heart. I came here and they said, hey, relationship. Okay, sure. You stay over here. I'll stay over there. We're relating. And then God broke my heart. And he's done something else. He really broke my heart for the loss lately. A lot. My heart breaks for those who don't know Jesus. Those are outside here. I see them differently now. And that's what happens. It means I recognize my worth. And that's when I recognize with those who don't know Jesus, they have a destiny. And I don't get judgmental because I know I have a past. It comes from God alone. First um, Peter 5, 6 says this, Humble yourself, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you. When he's talking about humbling, okay, and I know we're in Western world today, he means this. In this context of James, worship. That's what he means. Humbling yourself before God in worship. Give him everything. Give him everything. That's what he's talking about. Here's a uh, quote. Can you put that quote up for me from A.W. A, um, a. Tozer? I'm sorry, I, I bounced ahead. In every Christian heart, there's a cross and a throne. The Christian's on the throne until he puts himself on the cross. If he refuses the cross, he remains on the throne. Perhaps this is the bottom of the backsliding and worldliness among believers today. We want to be saved, but we insist that Christ do all the dying. A.W. Tozer. He's talking about when I wake up and I don't submit my life, if I don't the war, if I don't submit, if I don't humble myself, I'm walking on the throne today. I'm in control of this. I'm going to tell God what time it is. I'm going to tell him when I have time to do something. I'm going to tell him, this, I need you to schedule this for me. Make this happen versus him telling me this is how it should happen. And I'm, it was not, I mean, every day, every single day. It happens. And when he talks about humbling ourselves, it means, and there's, there's two promises there. I love it. It says, resist and the devil will flee. Submit. I mean, draw near to God, and he'll draw near to you. Those are theological realities. But it takes me in the practical reality to do it. Coming near to God involves approaching God in worship and commitment. Think about it. In worship and commitment. Philippians 2, 3 and 4 talks about when he talks about humility. Do nothing out of rivalry or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests but also the interests of other people. 
It's a powerful statement because it goes about how Jesus submitted his life, became a servant, became obedient until death for us. And I can't walk on the throne. And I tell you, every single day, guys, you can't say, well, pastor, you got together. No, I'm just called. It's a double-edged sword. I'm just called to communicate. But God communicates to me every day on this. It's hard not to think about this or think about what I want to happen. And I don't have the luxury of a praise team every Sunday. It's every day I have to build an altar in my house and say, God, you're on the throne. I'm down here. God, thank you for my business. Thank you for these relationships. Thank you for this fantastic. Without you, I would be even be here. And that's amazing. And the war within, I can't tell you that it's not going to happen. It's going to happen every single day. But you got to choose to choose God that day. You got to make time. Because things are happening so fast, and you got to make time. There's no such thing I don't have time. You have to make that time. I always have time for the things I want to do because I want to do something, like the Bible says, that war. So I don't do the things I want to do, but I ought to do the things I ought to do, but really I'm supposed to do, but I really love doing it because God says do it. And what we're going to do, we're going to practice, we're going to train in humility. I told the praise team to come up because I want us, we're going to worship God. We're going to close in worship. And whatever that looks like for you, if you want to stand over here, you want to get on your knees, get before, I'm going to make that opportunity for you to get before God. Because you got to be practical in how we close this. There's no, there's no altar call without promise anything. It's about in his presence, things change. And sometimes it reminds us that we can do this every single day. Any hour of the day, at lunchtime, you can say, God, you are so amazing. You just worshiped him. You just gave an up of worship. You didn't have to, God, you, thank you. Thank you. I should not complain about the job I, that a lot of people don't have. Should not complain about my city. Should thank you for my city. Thank you for Abilene, Texas. Thank you for these amazing people. Thank you for this amazing life. I get after 50 years old, I, can, I don't have to look back and regret. I got so much ahead. I can do whatever I want now because I'm smarter. But I can be more in love with him than I've ever been. So why don't we stand and worship God? Open your heart to him today. No one's looking. No one can say, I don't deal with that issue because <laughs> we all do. And sometimes we don't have a chance to just stop and tell him how awesome he is. Father, I thank you for this morning. Thank you for your amazing spirit and your amazing presence. We worship you, and for us, we really need you and we want you. Speak to us today, the rest of the service. In Jesus' name, amen.